Boom, everybody. I'm stoked to get started today. We're talking about diabetes, and it's, again, 8 out of 10. The ways you're going to die are going to be from a blood sugar handling disorder, whether it's heart attack, stroke, um, cancer, complications of diabetes. And so I just went over the first section of this. There's going to be quite a few because I think we just... I get so many questions in the office. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to do a Mediterranean diet? Am I supposed to do intermittent fasting? Ketogenic didn't work for me. Uh, and, and I'm going. I'm, I'm starting to explain the reality of, of why those failed for certain people. Is, um, and there's the do-it-yourselfers. Uh, I'm going to go to Dr. Google, and Dr. Google is going to tell me what to do. Or they've been to a doctor, whether it's their family doctor, primary care doctor, functional medicine doctor, chiropractor, acupuncturist, it doesn't matter, that don't understand the not basic physiology because they do don't understand the intricacies in the interwoven criteria to go into any one of those dietary plans based on your uh, needs. So that's, that's part of what we're going to talk about today. So again, diet and nutritional recommendations, especially for regarding diabetes can be really, really confusing. And so uh, some doctors will tell you to, to eat moderate again, high carbohydrate diet consuming 40 to 60 grams a day. That's really the American Diabetic Association, which has food in the form of whole grains, beans, legumes, starchy vegetables, and refined grains, such as your bread, cereals, and pasta, which is just not cutting it. Um, I, I don't understand why that's even still there. Um, well, actually, I do. I'll, I'll get to that. Um, and then sometimes, you know, uh, I like YouTube. I, I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube that, um, you know, somebody will come up on a vegan or raw food diet, um, made miraculous benefits in my, my diabetes and blood sugar, or I cut out meat and it made my blood sugar go down. Um, and then, you know, on the flip side of that, I did a totally ketogenic, I did caveman diet. Um, I cut out all my carbohydrates. I add butter to my coffee in the morning and everything's better and, and maybe fasting or not even all. Uh, which does have an effect on, on blood sugar. Or you can do, um, what's that, uh, apple cider vinegar cleanse, liver cleanse, gallbladder cleanse. I'm trying to think of all the things that have come to the office off the top of my head. Lectin avoidances. Um, there's a Dr. Stephen Gundry that, that's a um, smart guy. I think he's really onto some things. Uh, I think he, it's, it's a one size fit all. And it, it, that's, I can't agree to that. Uh, Gluten free only diet. Uh, what about the, um, the big ones out there? Oprah, I think, bought Weight Watchers or Nutrisystems or uh, Atkins and Paleo and Whole30. I mean, we can we can go on to all those. Which one do you do? Um, what about intermittent fasting? We got we got to talk about that because that's not just fasting, fasting, um, intermittent fasting. So I, I want to help you understand a good picture of how to eat better so that you're not lost because this is man confusing and. The um, the people that are supposed to be telling us what to do, really, from a nutritional standpoint, uh, there's nutrients, nutritionists and dietitians. Dietitians is a lot more education than a nutritionist. I'm not trying to slam any nutritionists out there. Um, and then they're getting to what's called registered dietitian, and then they are now that's turning that into a um, uh, like a PhD. They actually get a doctorate in that. They've got, gotten rid of the master side of the program as of I think the end of this year. Um, so they they all have to go through it, but. They're the ones that, that come to it. So if you ever just get bored and you want to go to an annual nutrition and dietitian uh, conference, you'll see that their sponsors are things that you may have heard of before. Um, have you ever heard of PepsiCo uh, as a company? Um, Burger King as a company? Um, 
because PepsiCo owns so much that's out there. Um, why are they why are they there? Well, it, it's it comes down to money. So before the very last podcast, we talked about this low fat. Um, gotta get rid of the fat and put the sugar in, and we've been unfortunately blaming the wrong uh, culprit. The, the really uh, the the culprit is sugar, and the increased prevalence of diabetes type two diabetes type two diabetes and its issues that have created heart disease, obesity, uh, cancers, strokes, um, and and many other autoimmune conditions. And again, this started back in the nineteen sixties. I know I'm re- just doing a little highlight here. And interestingly enough, the study, the single study on this was funded by the Sugar Research Foundation anonymously and it proved that fat caused heart disease. And they had sugar had zero effect. <laughs> uh, bullshit. <laughs> so anyway, um, government knew this. Federal officials knew it. They knew it was flawed. You know, why would you do it? Um, again, back to the 80s, uh, aspartame. Known carcinogen, known to cause cancer. Pay enough money, you can get it in like 3,600 products. High fructose corn syrup, same thing. Known to cause disease, known to do that. Pay a few million dollars to whoever is going to vote things in. I mean, I'm not going to hop up and down on on, on politics or, or, again, you can have the best person in the world decide they're going to run and they get voted and they go to Congress or the Senate or, but we'll just say Congress in general, and then they change their vote. Why? Um, Money. Uh, so I'm a big fan of term limits. Um, I think I don't think it'll solve everything, but it, it, it just doesn't allow somebody to be bought off so quickly. And they allow them to get their job, and then they can come home and, and go do a different job, and we have somebody else in there, different ideas. But it, it's it's following the money. I mean, this Framingham study we talked about with putting the injections of animal fat into rabbits, that was this. It was payoff. And so um, the reality is the research has shown that high-fat diets are even more beneficial than the high carb diet, which was made in the 80s. It's because of how they regulate blood sugar and insulin. And the more metabolism, the better things are. So that's not just food and exercise. You know, calories in, calorie out. That's that's also just bogus. Because everybody's caloric intake and how their body metabolizes is completely different. You can't look on a label and say, okay, we know that if I go out and run or walk a mile, I'm gonna burn 100 calories. Uh, even on my, my Peloton, it says how many calories I'm burning. And you know, I could be my heart rate could be like 180 or something like that. We're doing an interval thing, and my wife could go the same distance. Um, and her heart rate's, let's say, 130, and she burns the same amount of calories. Bull butter. That's that's not, that's, that's not how it, it works with the power. My wattage is like 250, and her wattage is like 80. We're not burning the same caloric intake. Uh, but we have different things that we're doing. She's trying to do more of an endurance lean, and I'm trying to power it out because... I have to compete. That's just who I am. You know, the other things, what if somebody comes in your office? You're, what if you, if you and let's say your partner, whatever, um, husband or wife or kids, what's their stress level different? And, you know, are they getting bullied at school? Are they getting yelled at by their boss? Are they going to do cutbacks? These all things affect blood sugar and they affect hormone levels and they affect thyroid levels. And then what supplements you're taking? And a big one, do you sleep? How do you sleep? Do you sleep? Go to sleep? 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 Wake up? Sleep? Again, I had a podcast that these are the whole picture that has to be looked at, and this is what Doctor Google doesn't, and that's why I have these podcasts. And so, th- this is a reason why our nation is getting sicker and fatter, and sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and myself, me, um, when I was uh, a teenager, I found a book on being a better endurance runner, and that really got me away from what my parents were reading, which is essentially 
while they all their vegetables they grew and we canned them and did all that stuff everything else to add to the dinner was out of a box and so i realized that eh, that's not the way we do it so I, I i stayed with their vegetables that wasn't the problem but I, I started getting into lean meats and other things um and and even through my 20s and 30s whether it's marathons or, or ironmans i was running to burn calories to lose weight but um it, it wasn't helping so much at some point it turns out what well, i got you get older but no uh dietary it's, it's a misunderstanding of what i had i was still stuck in the the 90s information let's you know i'm gonna go out and run 20 or 25 miles a day i need to have this many calories and i need the calories to go in quickly so that i can burn them you can't just do that on a high fat diet because it can sit on you and it's gonna be heavy and i know um it's what he knows well guess what you get oxidation you get uh, insulin resistance you get fatty liver that's non-fatty uh, non-alcohol related um you can get um, you know fatty deposits. You get um, yeast infections. You can get skin tags. You can get tooth decay. You can get what is well uh, when you go to the dentist. You get more cavities, um, periodontal disease, cardiovascular disease. I mean, all these things can happen. And and for somebody who's working out all the time um, or eating like you know a lot of vegetables, but there's there's a high carbohydrate intake. See it every day. See it every single day. But and the cravings for most of these people are still there. But when you start doing a little differently, um, cravings will go away. Energies go up. The weight comes off. It doesn't come back on uh, unless there's some sort of inflammation. But we know that the overall inflammation, because we're on blood tests on everybody, gets reduced. The hormones get balanced. It's a big deal. So in 2018, the American Diabetic Association Lifestyle Guideline says that it's not one-size-fits-all pattern for individuals with diabetes. Well, no kidding. No kidding. But until then, it was. Uh, they went on to say, the evidence suggests that there's not an ideal percentage of calories from carbohydrate, protein, or fat for anybody with diabetes. Therefore, a macronutrient distribution should be based on an individual assessment of current eating patterns, preferences, and metabolic goals. Yeah, we got that. So that's why doing it on your own, if you get it, great. Um, but most people need a little help. And when I say a little help, they need like, I don't know, a few hours of education and possibly meeting with the person who understands what's going on. Now, if there just happens to be a registered dietitian that absolutely understands what they've going on, that is completely sick of their, um, called their profession that's telling them that they need to give Pepsi. <laughs> I got it. Not, it's not that bad. But, um, and they're just wanting an alternative. Give me, give me a chat. Maybe we have a spot for you because I'm always looking for somebody that, that can always do wonderful things because what, what we see in the office is because it does have to be individualized. I can run the test and, and evaluate and come up with what the meal plan should be. But it's so much better when a person can sit down with somebody who knows exactly what's going on and been told by somebody like me, this is what I want them to do. But maybe, let's say in this meal plan, it's asparagus. And they're like, I'm not eating asparagus ever. Okay, what do we do to offset that? And so that's where your, your RD, registered dietitian, understands meal planning and meal shopping and everything else would be absolutely perfect. So... Uh, if you're looking for a position, I'm open to it. Uh, give us a call, choosingleaf.com. Anyway, so eating a variety of... Um, so anyway, back onto this American Diabetic Association. Um, they have said that studies have shown that modest benefits are with low-carb diets, ketogenic specifically, uh, but only for about three to four months, and this, these are fad diets. Mm, okay. Um, and, and this also includes... Mediterranean plant-based and low-carb diets. Uh, and there was a dietitian, um, smart person, um, Spritzler, uh, in the American Diabetics Diabetic Spectrum Journal. Um, this came out in 2000, 
five paper, and it was in the nutritional metabolism. And it said, okay, after carbohydrates were recognized as the macronutrient, macronutrient primarily responsible for increasing blood glucose, severe restriction was used, and this is the history, before the discovery of insulin for diabetic patients. This is in 1922. Didn't know what diabetes was, or insulin was. Hadn't been found yet. So that's what they did. They, they didn't have insulin. They just restricted sugar. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So diet recommendations of that era were aimed at controlling what's called the glycemia. And they only gave like 5% of their energy from carbohydrates. So 25% protein 75 percent fat that's really a ketogenic diet really is that's the research and that's what we want to get to 75 80 percent i'll go into more detail so what they had them eat meats poultry game fish gelatin eggs butter olive oil coffee and tea <gasps> coffee and tea oh my goodness um and so there are apps that are out there that help you figure these things whether you know whether you're trying to get a meal that's that's 80 percent 70 percent 60 percent um it's it's generally in there the research is saying better at 80 but it's so hard to get 80 percent fat um and flat out it, that's so tough to get to so 70 70 seems to be something that they can reasonably get to so the message with with all this is the research from 100 years ago said keep the carbs low and the fat will join the proteins the, the meat um your chicken your fish um and your eggs are part of it and hey hey this is what the deal happens your appetite goes down because you start burning your own fat. So you have your own fat, you have more energy. And here's the thing. When you have a carbohydrate or a protein, you burn four units of energy. It only makes, if I'm putting that log on the fire like we did in the last podcast, I only burn four, let's say it burns for four minutes. But if I put a fat in the fire, it burns for nine minutes. So if you start burning your own fat, you almost have, you have over twice the amount of energy. This is how you start working better. This is what the ketogenic state is to get is so you can be more efficient. Um, and so you don't eat as much, and so you become more efficient. And, and there's been, for this particular thing into the ketogenic state of it, you have 15 years of research that's been done, and it looks, the, the results are really, really good from a blood test standpoint, longevity, when you cut out the carbs and eat more fats. And it's, it's glycemic control. It's making sure your blood sugar is normal, which means your triglycerides, the fat going around, goes way down, and you stop filling your liver with stuff so that it can actually work, which means your good cholesterol, your good cholesterol then comes out. Because when you're inflamed, it's bad cholesterol. Hope that makes sense there. So when we're seeing the difference there, that's really what we're looking at. Now, research. If you put a mouse on a ketogenic diet at the middle age of a mouse, they live 13% longer than if they ate the regular carbohydrate-containing food. This extrapolates to humans. So why not eat a little keto? In the last 20 years, it's gone from understanding that in 1980 1990 we got to pull all the fat out because it's going to kill you the american heart association from the 60s and they push it into the the american diabetic association and the national institute's health and our government has said fat's going to kill us so fat's going to kill us but the research is showing that if you want to live forever not live forever if you want to live longer eat fat that is a huge transformation but just like in our office, we still have the majority of Americans feel like if they have health insurance, it should pay for everything. But you have car insurance, and you still have to replace your tires and your windshield wipers and put gas in there. And you have your home, and unless you have a catastrophic event, you still have to replace your air conditioner 
or your dishwasher or paint or carpet out of your own pocket without an insurance claim. But when it comes to healthcare, pay for everything. Um, I'm trying to help you get off of it. Take control of your health. That's the whole point of these these podcasts. Um, but this information has been out there forever, long time, just like taking care of yourself, and we're not. So I want you to know that the research is fat is beneficial. Mainstream medicine, their their way is to treat you with medication. So whether it's low carb, high fat, or ketogenic, there's they're kind of the same, but they're not. Um, you're, they're they're just not taught that in medical school, and they're taught when you have this disease, give a medication. To eat food to offset this goes against giving medication. It's not what they've been taught. Um, and you know, a hundred years ago, doctors were using this low fat, high, uh, low carbohydrate, high fat, or ketogenic diet for treating diabetes, and they were doing well. And they were giving like ten carbohydrates a day. That's it. That's it. Uh, so, when somebody's eating a high carb diet and they're on medication, how are they ever going to have a chance to lower their medication or come off them? It's not. It's not happening. Uh, so when you do that, you can thank your doctor should be thanking you for do, eating like that because you have a life. They, at that point, they have a lifetime doctor. They have a lifetime uh, patient who's going to take medications, and it's really easy to to monitor them. I've got you on this one thing, but we're probably going to put you on a heart medication and a cholesterol lowering medication and all these other things that go along with it. It's great income. It's great revenue. Um, do your doctor a favor and do something for yourself. And let them work with other people. That's that's not to me. That's not a doctor. That's a that's a drug dealer. Um, and I'm sorry if you're a doctor and you're hearing that. You're just giving out a drug. You're not you're not doctoring them. The doctor is supposed to help them to get them out of the the condition that they're in, and to guide them and to to, to nurture them to help them educate them. There, you know, the definition of doctor used to be in the Webster Dictionary: teacher. You must teach them how to get out of the predicament that they've been in. You know, if a kid falls out of a tree, hey. Um, don't fall out of the tree, <laughs> or you know that that constantly slips and falls around a particular corner and, and breaks something. Let's let's see what's going on at that corner, or is that maybe their eyesight is off? So there, there's things to take a look at, but that's that's the job of the doctor. So if you're just giving a drug for that, what are you really doing? Uh, I'm not. This is not a difference between natural and medicine. It's a difference between what what works and what is ethical. And your ethical duty is to help your patient. And if you're just giving a medication, you're not informed about these other things that are out there and you're poo-pooing the idea of ketogenic or high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet, man, you're in the dark ages. And you're living in a, in a, in a society that is extremely litigious right now that as these things come out, there's going to be a really good attorney group. I mean, shoot, there was attorney groups sitting in front of the Supreme Court in the last couple of weeks. Um, and they're getting really good at making arguments that... Knowing that that information is out there and you're providing a medication, then unfortunately, a lot of these medications, they go into the what's called the microbiome. They create leaky gut. They create autoimmune conditions. They create a secondary disease that goes along with it. They also break down the mitochondria like CoQ10. So when you're given a blood pressure medication uh, or even these uh, particular lipid controlling mechanisms, they stop the ability for the body to make energy. So the big studies that go into these are showing that, well, while you might be reducing the numbers that you're looking at, whether it's blood pressure, um, lipid counts, and even blood sugar at the, the time, and you're testing them along the way, the quality of life and the duration of life does not change. Well, why are you taking them in the first place? Because they want to extend their life. Well, it's not doing it. Well, I want to feel better. Well, it's not doing it. So 
again, uh, if I offended you by calling you a drug dealer and you're, you are providing um, nutritional advice and, and ways to change their lifestyle, please forgive me. I wasn't talking to you. But if that's all you do, I, I mean it. And so there, you can do better because you're smarter than that. So in the, the Journal of Nutrition 2012, the authors reported, in summary, the low-carb ketogenic diet had significant positive effects on body weight, waste management, triglycerides, and glycemic control, and type 2 diabetes. That's a big deal. And, and type 2 diabetes, uh, this particular low-carb ketogenic diet safely improved hemoglobin A1c, which is one of the things we, we monitor your weight and other biomarkers like insulin while reducing diabetes uh, diabetics medication use so we've talked about doing your best to get rid of sugar and making it very very low so most of you have heard of uh, a disease known as celiac and the research on celiac is if you give one of those individuals gluten which reacts to their body significantly it's one year of cellular damage. One year. They have one bite of pizza. One year of cellular damage. Well, that's that particular disease, but that's kind of where sugar, when it gets into a diabetic, how long does it take for this to burn off? So yeah, I can eat carbs, but um, it has to be very, very careful. And even without knowing what they knew in the 1920s, they were just, well, let's just get five and see what happens. And it worked. So ignoring these facts in our medical system has unfortunately caused something we can't even calculate uh, or and really imagine. How many people have had diabetes in the last hundred years or since the discovery of insulin and has been told to eat whatever the hell you want? Um, but if your blood sugar comes up, just take a little bit more insulin. I mean, literally that's conventional approach. I have, I've interviewed so many patients and that's what they've been told. When my insulin comes up, I've been told I could take more or my pump just pumps out more. Oh, okay. So now I can have a normal life. Really? It ain't going to be that normal in about 15 years. And by the way, when you hit 45, 50 on your pump and doing that, what you're doing, you can go out and drink, do whatever, and have a normal life, you're not going to have a normal life. They've been lied to. And if you're on a pump and you've been told that, you've been lied to. And your life is going to be cut short. And then what are you going to do about it? Nothing. You can't do anything because you did. Then the argument is you did it to yourself. You should know better that going out and drinking and eating all this food is uh, not unhealthy for you. I mean, what's the argument for that? You did it to yourself. But I'm, I'm helping you not do it to yourself. And I hope that you listen and you're not upset with me for, we'll call it a little tough love. So let's talk about a food that. There was this um, place in Kansas City when I used to work there. It's called Fluffy Fresh Donut, and they man the, the guy like handmade this chocolate icing. It's fantastic, and then he put it on Long John. Well, you can only have like a couple bites of it, and it was like the best thing on earth. And then the swelling, the brain fog, the dizziness. I mean, it was like uh, carbo. I knew it wasn't good for you, but man, it made your mouth happy. So anything that comes along, even if it's considered healthy like that, we have a list on our family. We go out to eat, and it's supposed to be clean. And any one of us feels like crap afterwards. We don't go back. And it, nothing against the restaurant. It's just I don't want to go through how long it's going to take me to figure out what happened in that restaurant that made somebody become inflamed. If it's really clean food, we shouldn't have any inflammation at all. So that's just kind of a rule so that we can all go and eat together when we do. So um, and there are plenty of places in a huge... 10 million person city like Dallas Fort Worth that we can go eat. 
but that's typically how we we measure success uh going out to eat is is everybody still feel fine and we we're satisfied and nobody's dizzy when we get home nobody's uh yawning <laughs> you know the carbohydrate high or anything like that and as the proteins that we we absorb that we go through there how did it work and if um somebody doesn't want to eat a whole lot of proteins and let's see if they have a fresh green salad with good fats that they put on it um that can give you the impression you get enough fat in there uh, and enough fiber that can that can make a difference so again the, the takeaway is if if you or your doctor or your, even your maybe you're going to a dietitian or a, um, or a nutritionist and they're just ignoring the taking away refined carbs and sugars you, you're in the wrong place because this information has been out there for a long time uh, and so a high healthy saturated fat is important and I, I bring up this donut because if we took away all the carbohydrates we took away all the the um we'll call it saturated fat and the sugar the, the carbohydrate sugar that wonderful delicious uh i think he like he's a belgium chocolatier and he whatever you put on top of it and you just bathe in that stuff that's that good but um that's really all he wanted i really didn't want any of the rest of it is on the chocolate um but the uh if you took away all that the junk or uh, i'm sure there's trans fats in there and i'm sure there's um there really isn't any protein there, but there was maybe there was some good fat in there. Maybe he cooked an olive oil. Who knows? Probably peanut oil. But um, if, if it's just the healthy fat, it's healthy. But what if you put? Let's say he here's here's one. I can't uh, this 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 combination home. Oh, I found some gluten free cookies. Oh, good for you. Well, you know what? A gluten free cookie to make it taste worth the damn is you put a ton of sugar in it. So. You have, and maybe they cooked in good fats. We we cooked trans fat free. We cooked in olive oil. We cooked in coconut. We cooked in butter. Whatever, um, all good fats. So they they cooked in all that, but it's a cookie. So they have a whole bunch of sugar. So when you have a pastry or carb or, or a snack that has a ton of sugar in there, you got junk food. So only fat, including saturated fat, is healthy. Only in the absence of sugar. I just want you to understand that. So if it's like, you know, you got this um, grass-fed, grass-finished beef, and it's marbled, and you eat it, you're good. But what if we start adding, I've got to have that baked potato, and I, I want to put that cinnamon on it, and I, I want to add all this other stuff on it. Is it healthy anymore? I want, well, maybe I have a sweet potato, and I want to add some butter, and then put some cinnamon sugar on top of it. You know, sugar with sugar. It's, 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 it's a, I got a refined carbohydrate and an excessive carbohydrate because, you know, if you ever go to a restaurant, let's say a steak restaurant, do they give you these little small potatoes? Hell no. They give you this, something the size, you know, of a foot long uh, Subway sandwich. And that's like, I don't even know where they get these potatoes. I'm like, oh, you think that they're mutant potatoes. But no, that's that's not what we want. So we opt for asparagus. We opt for Brussels sprouts or something else that, 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 that comes out because it's going to be high in fiber. Uh, and we know it's going to have like a macronutrient um, dense something to it. Then it goes with our steak. Now I know I don't. I haven't put my bad fat. Well, it might not be bad fat. It's not bad fat when it's in the situation. Again, I had, didn't add excessive carbohydrates to it. But anyway, I'm going to pause here for just a second. If you've never heard me sneeze, um, I scare people next door. So that was a, a hold on that. That was a little pause. So again, high fat 
in the presence of low carbs actually allows your body to become a very good and a very efficient fat burner. And l- clinically, we see lower blood fat, uh, lower uh, which lipid levels, lower insulin, the blood sugar goes down, uh, this what's called adenopectin, which allows to take fat into cells. Um, and it's a, it's a hormone that's released from the fat cells. It gets better, um, which means you're not hangry all the time. There's another reason for hangry. It's not just blood sugar sometimes. Um, it lowers leptin which is another fat hormone, and it lowers inflammation. These are good. But that what you've been taught and what's been told and what is still being taught today is stay away from the fats. And so it's hard to hear because it's counterintuitive what most people are used to saying. So what we see often is good fats called HDL goes up. LDL usually stays the same when somebody's eating a, a lot. I'm uh, trying to keep this PG. A lot of high fats we, we don't see their cholesterol goes just absolutely nuts it, ju- it ju- just doesn't sometimes it comes up a little bit but it's not like it's going from like 190 or 200 to 500 that's that's not how the, this goes unless they start adding a whole bunch of carbohydrates especially refined carbohydrates which um like sugar so i have to talk about calories for a minute and and this stuff started like in the 1800s and and it's not calorie for calorie it's not really that accurate it's not really that applicable but the conventional approach, and shoot, even when I was multiple stops in college, you know, they, there were always calories in, calories out. Yeah, you only have to, um, if you had 300 extra calories a day, let's say you went to, I don't know, Dairy Queen, and you were nice, and you split one Sunday with like 23 of your friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that way you only get 300 calories. That's kind of how silly it is. All you got to go is... If you really want to get away from fast food, just go look at their calories and then understand like, what is this really doing to me? And that'll that'll help move that needle right off of that. Um, so most people have noticed that their weight stays the same regardless of how much they eat or exercise on that day, one day. So let's say you went for a 30 mile run. Did you really lose? And once you rehydrate and get your water back in, because you're going to have that, uh, what do you lose? Nothing. Um, or a pound, it, it's not much. I mean, I know a lot of wrestlers can go do that, but they're losing water weight, and the second they drink it back, it's right back on. Um, so there's been enough research and experiments on overfeeding, and you can consume thousands of calories, and it, it just doesn't lead to massive weight gain. It's because the caloric theory, and that's all it is, is, is really not right. Calories do exist, and they can be measured. And I used to work in a uh, food processing for pets, and we would have to take the food and we'd break it down, and then we'd put in this thing, and I can measure the fat, and I can put in this thing, and I measure the protein, I put in this thing, and I measure the carbohydrates, and then that's what went on the label. It's a closed environment. But what if you're in Antarctica and you're just shivering all the time? Uh, what's your caloric outtake? It's just to stay warm. You want to have everything warm around your internals, but everything else outside your fingers and toes freeze. Why? Keeping your heart alive and then you get to uh, let's say the equator and everything's hot because and you're trying to sweat and keep everything cool why because your internal temperature is completely different well that could be somebody with Hashimoto's thyroiditis or Graves disease or somebody has high blood pressure or somebody has low blood pressure these are all different and the body is constantly and dynamically changing and adapting and so there's no way to measure what kind of energy you're cons- you're putting out or consuming in the form of calories from whatever food you eat so when you're reading this on the outside of a label, you're really only getting an estimate of what the energy content is in that product. That's it. We have no idea what your metabolic output is 
or what's going on. So counting calories, I think, is not worth your, worth your time. When we do consume carbohydrates, the American Diabetes Association recommends you focus on vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, and dairy products. Eat high fiber, low glycemic carbs, and reduce added sugars. I can agree, uh, except for the whole grains and the legumes and the certain foods because they all raise blood sugar. We know that. No ifs, ands, or buts. We know it does. So how about this? Non-starchy, above-ground fibrous vegetables. So that takes out those sweet potatoes. Sorry. And that takes out those potatoes. Sorry. And we want low glycemic fruits. We don't want fruits that have high sugar. Then we can have nuts and seeds. Uh, the vegetables we, we, we try to reach for, you know, I, I already talked about asparagus or Brussels sprouts or um, bell peppers, onions, garlics, uh, garlics, um, cucumbers, mushrooms. Uh, we tend to stay away from tomatoes. Not that any of us have rheumatoid arthritis, but it, there's there's just enough study that says it, it can be inflammatory. Do we get exposed to it? Do we eat them? Yeah. But am I reaching for them? No. Um, cabbage and leafy greens. And then, you know, we like kale, spinach, collards. I, I'm like, I'm, let me recorrect that. We will eat kale and collards begrudgingly knowing that it's good for us but we'd rather have other leafy greens most everybody in our family would rather have cabbage or spinach or or something else uh, kale and collards can take a hike but we do put them in our microbiome mashup so these starchy vegetables even beets um and the sweet potatoes that are considered good or even yams and winter squash um they can still raise blood sugar so if you're diabetic it's not what we want to do what if you're no longer diabetic and your a1c is super low then you probably can handle more. Uh, same with low guy, um, berries, ras- just essentially all the berries. Berries, raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, cherries. Um, these watermelons and in the melon group, they can they can raise your blood sugar. So again, we, we try to have that. Um, but do we have them occasionally because they're microbiome stuff and they have micronutrients and they're high in uh, antioxidants? Yeah, well, we do. But we don't we only have them in season. Once they're out of season, forget it. Not going to do it. But the biggest, the biggest culprits that are out there are refined grains. They're disastrous for 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 diabetic patients. Uh, and so your breads, your pastas, your donuts, cereal is a big deal. And and by the way, when I start saying this, donuts, pastries, cereal, waffles, pancakes, you know the standard kids. This is what we're feeding our kids. This is normal to feed your kids, and this is what you're going to get when you take your kids somewhere. And that's normal. And then guess what? They're surprised when they have diabetes. They're surprised when they have behavioral issues. They're surprised when they have anxiety and depression because it all affects us. And then what do we wash it down with? Well, juices, which is just high sugar. And then sometimes we even see kids, I got my monster drink in the morning, I got my Coke in the morning. Oh, if it's not that, maybe they're sophisticated and they get to go to Starbucks. And then what do they get at Starbucks? It's certainly not a black coffee. By the way, that's disgusting. Um, it's... It's some frappuccino with 800 calories or something ridiculous. Um, now, from the American Diabetic Association, whole grains have escaped criticism, and they should be re-looked at. For instance, if you have one cup of oats, which is considered heart healthy, has a nice little heart healthy sign. Um, by the way, Cheerios are oats too, and they get their little B with their heart healthy um, bogus. Who got paid off for that? Don't know. Don't care. It contains 300 calories. Well, it's we talked about who cares about calories, but it's 70% carbohydrate. Huh. And then it, um, it has, because it has some fiber, it has, you get to take that off, and it really has 50 grams of carbs um, with only 5 grams of fat. 
those are a really good way to raise your blood sugar level. So if you have blood sugar issues, and we know that diabetes can affect heart disease, and it's heart healthy, bullshit. It's not. It can't possibly be that. So uh, I, I don't care that you have a, a fiber in there, and I'll get to the fiber issue in, in a minute. But these other grains, such as wheat, barley, and rye, contain this thing called lutein. Uh, lectins are problem, problematic, and they really pull away from the anti-nutrients. And by the way, both of these, both lectin and lutein, affect the digestive tract, which create inflammation. The biggest issue is that they're loaded with starch. Well, that raises your blood sugar. And then well, you say, well, I can have gluten-free grains such as rice or corn or millet. Well, really, the reality is it's a grain, so they have gluten in it. So they're gluten-free is it's kind of a joke because corn really has 45% gluten. Does that sound like gluten-free to you? Rice is 5% gluten-free <laughs> or 5% gluten, so it's still 5%. What if you're really allergic to it? What if you're celiac? They could have a reaction to that. Um, but it still raise blood sugar because they are high in carbohydrate, carbohydrates, which raise blood sugar. So here's the bigger picture with that. Gluten hasn't been implicated. Study after study, like thousands of studies, that they're one of the biggest causes of type 2 diabetes and also a cause of type 1 diabetes. So if you're type 1 or type 2, can you trigger an autoimmune response and lead to these conditions? So as far, it's, it's a bigger issue than, oh, I need to go gluten-free. You're going, if you're going gluten-free, you got to understand why. Because I'm trying to stop 8 out of the 10 common causes of death in the United States. Is that a big enough picture for you? It should be. I would hope so. The other thing that gluten can do, I'm, I'm just giving you that as a, uh, an example because I can't tell you how many people are like, oh, I don't know why I'm going gluten-free. Or, um, we were at a family dinner and a person that I am related to said, this gluten-free thing is a fad. And everybody got quiet. Then I sat there and I was quiet for a while and then I started to go into the the... It, it, it started going to the research that went there, and then it got well. Well, you know, it's 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 it, maybe it's a, not just a fad, and there's some people that really do need it. You mean like America? <laughs> uh, anyway, that that has not come up since. <laughs> anyway, so it, again, it's been it's an indicated in these things. It's been it's indicated as as a, a leading trigger to type three diabetes and starts to get into Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and dementia. Yuck. It can also create this leaky hole thing, leaky gut thing. It creates holes in your gut, and this is just one of the things that can do that. But if you have bacteria in your gut and it actually gets big enough, and the holes get big enough, it gets out. The These bacteria now get into your bloodstream and it causes chronic inflammation. That's called endotoxemia. I have a whole podcast on endotoxemia. So if you have diabetes and you're trying to lose weight and you have inflammation and you have these holes in your gut and you have endotoxemia and now you have the potentials for the worst case of uh, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, uh, uh cancer, stroke, and heart attack because of this, you're not going to lose weight by doing all these things. So now you have to get really, really involved and you have to see somebody who knows what the heck they're doing. The biggest thing we try to do for those patients is reduce their inflammation and we want to reduce their risk of heart disease. And, and when they have a leaky gut and a, a positive endotoxemia, we have to look at TMAO. Is that also being released? And then we have to go, okay, well, we're, we wanted you on a ketogenic diet, but you can no longer have red meat and eggs. That sucks. <laughs> so what are we going to do? So we have to go figure that out. So we do really want to cut grain out because it's carbohydrates. It's a very, 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 very high carbohydrate. It, it's really what gluten has and I, this is the most important part of this is that when you eat gluten as opposed to your candy bar gluten has a higher response on insulin release than your sugar from your candy bar mike has been now been dropped big deal it's a big deal so these people that are eating there you know i have my um 
my cereals. What are you doing? Here, here's the other thing. It's also inflammatory. All these grains have something called omega-6, which is a bad fat. It causes inflammation, and they don't have any omega-3. So omega-6 kicks out omega-3. You get more inflammation. You get less healthy. You get less brain function. This is a bad thing. So we feed these things for kids at our school, and then you send them to a, a teacher, regardless of what the teacher's unit is currently done. And we'll give them a pass for that. But these kids, they have a le- legitimate complaint. These kids aren't thinking the way they used to. No kidding. These kids aren't focusing the way they used to. No kidding. These kids have more IEPs and um, medications than they ever before. No kidding. What do you think got that? that? It's their freaking diet. And then I can go back to our fertility podcast and we talk about the OBGYNs are doing nothing, nobody a favor. Uh, the pediatrician is not a favor or the parents a favor because in the first trimester was when the brain develops and they're telling women to go eat whatever the hell they want. Well, we just have a whole talk about what to eat. Uh, so again, I have a podcast about that too. So, um, going around in circles here, but I'm trying to drive this this point home. The other thing that can be on grain is mold, aflatoxin that get in there. And we see a lot of people that are allergic to it or they're allergic to mold uh, and they respond to it, which then creates something else that goes out. And mycotoxins are very, very uh, common in, um, in these grains. And then often the grains are GMO, so they're linked to something called glyphosate. If you ever heard Roundup Ready? Uh, so a lot of people that are gluten intolerant are actually having, and they go to Europe and they eat gluten and they feel fine and they come back here and they're not. It's more of a glyphosate issue and GMO or, or the mycotoxins that's here that maybe they don't have over there. And so one of the other things that has a lot of mycotoxin concentration is wine. So a lot of cardiologists will tell their patients, go ahead and have a glass of red wine every night because it's heart healthy. But what they don't understand is that if it's a mycotoxin and it's a pesticide and it has, um, you know, uh, a blood sugar issue because, you know, alcohol really is a sugar, you're raising their blood sugar, which means it's going to drive their insulin, which means it's going to expose them to more of that pesticide that's already in there. So Roundup, glyphosate itself can cause inflammation. It causes mineral deficiencies like selenium deficiencies, which then affects your metabolism because it affects what your thyroid's doing. And then you, um, when your metabolism slows down, you don't uh, get the amount of a neurotransmitter called serotonin. So now you, you have fatigue. You can get into anxiety and depression. You don't have the motility that you used to have. And so it gets in there, and now you can't detoxify because you're supposed to poop to detoxify. And if you can't do that, the movement of the gut has changed. And so glyphosates and these other pesticides are very, very inflammatory. And they create an, and again, we talked about an inflammation that affects now insulin. So they all hammer it. So now you're eating glyphosate based cereals in the morning, which almost all of them are. What are you doing to your blood sugar? But that's what's recommended by the American Diabetic Association. And if you're hearing me from that, you can do better, American Diabetic Association. If you're upset at me and you're going to write me a letter, your letter should be, we're going to do better. And would you like? we would like your help to, to make a difference because so many people in the United States have this and we can do better and we don't have to do it with medications. So th- these diabetes by itself just doesn't develop overnight. It happens over time. Um, and we, we want to make sure that, that we're getting ahead of it. But there are uh, as a diabetic, I also want to let you know that there are hidden forms of sugar that are hidden in names. They'll call it starch or cornstarch. Um, if you see that on there, it's it's hidden sugar, but they don't sugar, but they don't put it as sugar. So one of the things you want to have when you're diabetic is you want to have as much fiber as you possibly can. Now nuts are a good source of fiber, and what like one ounce of almonds contains. 
let's say 160 calories. Again, we don't really care about the calories so much, but what we do care about is three, two to three grams of net carbs. Okay. So let's talk about net carbs for a minute. So I'll give you an example. So like beans are very, very easy to digest. Now they can have lectins so they can create leaky gut if they get there and it's digestible starch, but digestible starch because it can, it's low can raise blood sugar. So we have to be careful. So most of our, our patients we want to keep, I, I, I want to keep them between 15 and 30 grams per day, or, or sorry, 15 to 20 grams per meal. And sometimes I have to be a little bit more strict than that. And I, I try to keep them around 50 grams a day uh, as, as a total before we ever start doing anything on that. So what a net carb is, is if you have, let's say the package, we're reading the label right now, and it says um, 50 grams of sugar. That's a lot, okay? We're just licking the sugar at this point. But then for whatever reason, it has like 20 grams of fiber, okay? So it's you will subtract the fiber from the carbohydrate to get your net carb, that'd be 30. So that's what a net carb is. So what we're looking at is net carbohydrates that, that gets in there, and I really want to keep that around 50 when somebody is out there. So that's how we, we calculate to do that and we assume that the label's correct and because it should be because here's checks and balances i've had to um um very quick when i worked in the food industry we had somebody come in and check to make sure it just happened to be my day my work was doing well and we're, we're fine on that but um but they're checking everybody else's work too so i was like okay good at least somebody takes a look at this you can't completely fudge it but you could fudge it a lot but not all the time all right so complete proteins come from healthy organic animal protein so wild-caught fish um, free range, cage free, antibody free, hormone free, chicken, turkey. Um, beef needs to be uh, beef, pork, pork um, need to be grass fed, grass finished. Um, you can get to lamb and, and sheep that way too. And a lot of people do struggle with milk products such as milk, cheese, and yogurt because they cause inflammation and they're allergic to casein. That's a test we run in there. And if they're not, um, the cool thing is that it, again lactose can raise blood sugar in people so if you're eating uh drinking milk or you're having yogurt they have lactose in it but cheese on the other hand is, is virtually lactose free so, but if they're allergic to casein i don't i, I just don't i don't want them to eat that because i can't have them to have inflammation an allergic reaction or sensitivity which isn't like food allergy the definition of food allergy you eat it you're gonna die okay it's an anaphylactic you're carrying around an epi that's a food allergy food sensitivities create things that create inflammation if you have inflammation you cause disease and if you have inflammation you screw with your insulin if you screw with your insulin you screw with your blood sugar so when somebody has that I, I i don't want them to have anything that creates inflammation so there is well let's go on the carnivore diet I'm just going to eat protein and nothing else, no fats. Well, too much of protein leads to inflammation too because you create something called uric acid. Now, if you've ever heard of somebody who has gout, they have a lot of uric acid and has a negative impact on their blood sugar because it's coming from the liver. The liver is now overflowing. So unless you're super active and you're like built like a brick and very muscular, you don't have additional protein requirements. So the, the ideal is going to be like 0.8 to 0.1 grams per kilogram a day. So 160 pound person just to give it kind of in a, a, a reference range is like 58 to 73, but I, ideally we're going to put that person uh, in the 60 range, uh, probably on the low end uh, for that, just so they can get an idea. And again, you don't have to do like these hard calculations. There's a ton of apps that, that are out there that do it for you to do your macros. So when we're talking about 
we've already talked about carbohydrates and proteins, but what about good fats? Well, you can get good fats from nuts, seeds, olive, butter, cheese. We talked about the restriction with cheese, avocado, one of my favorites, egg, and I'm really picky on my eggs. Where did they come from? And just for fun, go out and buy some cheap eggs um, and then a really, really quality egg. Or if you have somewhere that actually feeds their eggs or let their chickens run around uh, and then they collect them at night, um, go look at the color of those egg yolks versus something else and then the, the cheap stuff. It's not even, you, you won't even eat that egg anymore. It's like, ugh, forget that. So again, 50s and 60s, you got to rid of the fat. That's uh, the And by the way, that, that came... On the Eisenhower study, there was a President Eisenhower, and we talked about that in my our cardiovascular podcast. Is that that was the main one that they were using um, the Eisenhower study to to decide that what's going on with this president who's had a heart attack, and they wanted to get fat out of the system. So again, in the fifties to sixties, um, they wanted to get rid of fat. So the the problem was that it's it's the omega sixes, which really come in carbohydrates and these these grains. They're easily oxidized. They're easily damaged. They're easy. And when they do that, they create inflammation. Oils are a very good concentrated form of energy that doesn't exist, exist like we can go out and, um, you know, I can't just find olive oil in the ground. We've got to actually create it. So if it's not in a natural state, we, we, we don't want to like just be hammering on it and being taking shots of it. So we want to see food that has fat in it. Um, so... Will we use an olive oil for a salad dressing or a sauce? Yeah, or olive oil or avocado oil to, to cook in? Yeah, I will. Or coconut. But um, better is going to be coconut oil or butter because they're actually there. It's a little bit more uh, naturally stable fat. So that that's the bigger picture. Again, dietary cholesterol and saturated fat were thought to be an evil. It's not. Again, that was from a frame and hand study, which injecting these poor fats into these these fats into these poor rabbits um but the, the reality is over the past 80 years with hundreds of studies they have failed to show the association between dietary fats and the risk of cardiovascular disease they've overstepped the boundaries of what that framingham study and what our current food system or our government says we should eat so while the FDA has approved things like aspartame for artificial sweeteners, they affect your microbiome. So if you go have a diet drink, they have these in there. They will affect your microbiome. And then we talked about this thing called a leaky gut or an endopoxemia, or when it breaks down, you can get gluten sensitivities and other food sensitivities, which all create insulin resistance and blood sugar regulation issues. So here's what I recommend. There are clean stevias. There's not good cleanias. There's good stevias. Um, what we use in our house is monk fruit. Um, and then we, we want to stay away from a sweetener known as fructose, especially high fructose corn syrup, because it creates insulin resistance. And when you do that, insulin resistance plus elastic physical activity equals a non-alcoholic fatty liver, which then means your liver is all messed up. So um, a lot of these sweeteners are in a lot of sodas, packaged foods, um, and then fructose is in... Um, lot of fruit so we have to be that, that's where we in those cases we just may not have fruit for a while until the numbers are right so i do want to go into a little bit of detail on fatty liver and this should be um my last topic before i wrap up into this today and, and i don't think it, it gets enough enough information that goes there so the fat around goes around the liver should be under five percent that's that's the idea and when you get below that it, it's it stops to function the way it should 
And a fatty liver is, and I'm sorry, a normal liver is very good at burning fat. And so we want to do that. But when you have a fatty liver, it doesn't, you can go out and go on a fast, for instance. You'll burn your own fat, but the fatty liver's job is to replenish it, take it from your body, put it in there, recycle it, make more energy. So if you're inefficient in doing that, this is how people who are have a fatty liver go out and fast and they actually get worse. Okay, so fasting isn't always the best thing. We got to get those numbers down and then the fasting is a better thing for them. Same if, when we talked about blood sugar handling with low blood sugar, hypoglycemia. Fasting is not a good thing for them. They get worse. So this is where uh, we see, well, should I fast or should I not fast? Well, not until we're healthy enough, not until we have a good liver. And not until we know that you can make what's called glycogen and that we know the, the nutrients in the, 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 the liver are doing well and that we are having your diet now has uh, diverse fibers. And we want you to eat as much fiber as you can. And the research is showing, this is from the New England Journal of Medicine, that people with diabetes who eat 50 grams of fiber a day, particular soluble fiber, were better at controlling their blood glucose than those who ate less. And now the research went a little bit further with that. There's a, um, there's a tribe got to come up with my name on that and essentially um the hands tribe they're eating 100 grams of fiber a day where the average american eats 10 they don't have autoimmune disease and they don't have diabetes so we want more fiber now we don't have to go out and eat all the crazy stuff that they're eating i mean they're literally eating honeycombs with the larva in it and you know tubers off the ground and their washing is not happening <laughs> So it's a little bit different, but women should be around 25 grams and men should be about 35. That's that's where we get. And this is why we use this thing created by the Crossing Institute. It's called a microbiome mashup because it, it has the fiber that we want to have. And, and the more fiber we have, the better that you get blood glucose and hemoglobin A1C regulation. Um, and so any, any of those things starts to help with circulation, helps with uh, insulin sensitivity, helps with chronic inflammation. And one of the byproducts we use in this is called butyrate. It's called short-chain fatty acids. And the product that we use in our office for that is called uh, immune, um, GI immune balance. It's a short-chain fatty acid that we're using it. Why? Because we just talked about short-chain fatty acid going into the gut to make it better for all those. So those are all uh, very important things and, and they all have feedbacks to the liver so when people get exposed to antibiotics or pesticides or toxins or their normal their prescribed medications or let's say over-the-counter ibuprofen tylenol they all affect gut permeability so the, we have to have for them more fiber more fiber what if they're on a medication more fiber that's just the game you have to play when you're having it until we get it down to normal when we get to something reasonable and the numbers are right, then we can get to something called intermittent fasting. Now, intermittent fasting, generally, you fast for 16 to 18 hours. Now, most people, well, they won't eat breakfast and they'll have lunch and dinner, but that is in a five to seven hour window. Okay. But the research on that is that it increases fat burning, weight loss, insulin sensitivity, and blood sugar control. Well, that sounds fine. And they still get to eat green vegetables. You're not fasting. You still get to eat. You're still eating your green vegetables with full calories. You're having high dense. You're still eating your animal proteins without the carbohydrates. And so this is where, depending on when we're looking at genetics and other things. So let's say somebody has really high blood pressure. I might have to go on a DASH diet or Mediterranean in the process. What if they have an autoimmune condition? I might have to go on an autoimmune paleo. Um, maybe they're just ethnic and they're, they're Indian and they have to have certain foods from there and maybe they're vegetarian and vegan. This is where 
we have to decide based on every factor what's best for you. And while there might be somebody on TV or there might be somebody that you know at work or whatever that's gone this this dietary or this diet and did this and they did it well, it probably won't work for you because there's so many other factors to go to that. So that was the purpose of this is to decide which one you want to do and understand that, hey, this is probably going to work better for me and better for you. So um, I will be talking about how to plan for how to go out shopping for for blood sugar and any of the potential obstacles and we call them oopsies uh, that happen along the way because this is again this is it's not highly complex it's just multifactorial a little bit different there's a lot of things that go into it i know you have a lot of podcasts you can listen to i appreciate you listening to mine um and if you love it share it with somebody if you'd like to come see us in the office go to our website at choosingleaflife.com or call us on the uh the phone that pops up there. I'm Dr. Alan Trites. Great health does not have to be a mission possible. Be well. This podcast, Great Health Does Not Have to Be a Mission Impossible, provides you information about evidence-based strategies for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, gut health problems, digestion, autoimmune disease, brain health issues, and many other chronic health conditions. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information on today's episode. Nutrition, Dr. Trite's blog, and many other topics at choosenewleaf.com. There you'll have all the information, and thank you for listening to this podcast. The best thing to do is sign up for his newsletter, where he'll update you on the latest research and clinical strategies related to chronic and autoimmune health conditions. You can find Dr. Trite's social media on Instagram and Facebook with the username New Leaf Health. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. Note, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.